Across the country, there are deserts of news. Local newspapers print fewer pages less frequently and in some cases collapse entirely. Recent studies paint a grim picture of the decline in local newspapers and the impact that is having on our politics. News travels fast these days. The touch of a screen or the click of the mouse, you can find out what's happening instantly just about anywhere. But what about the old-fashioned local newspaper? Does technology mean it's yesterday's news? There's an enormous crisis going on in local and regional newspapers at the moment. That's only deepened in the last year or so. We've seen waves of redundancies take place, we've seen editions being lost and we've seen newspapers fold entirely. It's the local paper, the Fulham and Hammersmith Chronicle. You can learn a lot about an area just by looking at the local paper. Nice headline on the front. Ambulance crew deny stealing cash. <laughs> what a lovely area this is. Oh, you pump his chest, I'll go through his pockets. Local newspapers are often mocked sometimes for good reason. But their rapid decline in recent years is of concern not just for journalists, but for anyone who cares about the health of local communities and the functioning of democracy. Welcome to JLab, a podcast brought to you by the Civic Journalism Lab at Newcastle University. My name's Ian Wiley, and in this episode, our guest is a journalist who began the pandemic intending to write a book in the Czech Republic, but instead launched a venture in Manchester that shows there might, after all, be a viable future for good quality local news reporting. In just 18 months, Yoshi Herman has signed up 15,000 subscribers to The Mill, his weekly email newsletter. And thanks to funding from Substack, Yoshi has launched sister titles The Tribune in Sheffield and The Post in Liverpool. I began our conversation by asking Yoshi to tell us how he describes the mill. Well, I describe it as a, a new quality newspaper for Greater Manchester, which is delivered by email. But that's kind of a bit of a fudge, really, because it's hard to describe something that is a little bit of a new format. So we're, we're doing it in a newsletter form. It's coming via email. It's subscription, i.e. Um, some of the, the posts are paid and, and some of them are free. And I didn't really want to call it just a newsletter because what we're trying to do in this is not just summarise lots of different headlines, which I think is what people assume a newsletter is, but in each email have some in-depth reporting. So on a Saturday, it might be a 3,000 word feature about you know, a political thing that's going on in the city. The next weekend, it might be a cultural piece. On a Tuesday, it might be a, a, a piece of analysis about you know, the water supply into the region and, and why it's been cut off at a particular reservoir in Cumbria. And I think when people see like 2,000 words dropping into their inbox with no links to click, they don't necessarily think newsletter. So I kind of slightly struggle to define it, but I think of it as, as the new type of local newspaper, which is entirely digital and, and which is primarily delivered by email. What was the gap that you saw or the need that you perceive there to be in a city like Manchester? I just had an inkling that the changes that have been happening over the past 10 years in news, which have been, I think, particularly exaggerated in local news, whereby we've lost a lot of the kind of non-hard news coverage. We've lost a lot of the critics, a lot of the feature writers, a lot of the people who review plays, a lot of the softer side of journalism that I think brings a lot of its richness. I had a sense that having lost so much of that from local and regional news, there might be an opportunity to build a 
local publication that had its forte in that kind of area, that tried to deliver that kind of journalism, and that tried to offer a little bit more depth. Because I think, you know, when you break down a newspaper from what newspapers used to be, which is a bundle of news, opinion, features, arts criticism, books, everything like that, and you break it down just to the, the sports coverage and the news coverage, which is what's happened in a lot of places. I think what you lose is some of these components that actually used to give people a lot of joy and a lot of connection to the area that they live in. So I thought, well, let's try and do features. You know, let's start with, you know, 1,000-word features or 2,000-word features. Sometimes they're, you know, twice that length. And let's see if that really is a thing that people have missed. And the immediate sense I got when I started writing them, and it literally was just me on my own, you know, sending newsletters, the immediate sense I got from people was actually that is something they've missed because I saw sort of almost nostalgic tweets about it saying, oh, this is, you know, the kind of journalism I used to read and, and that kind of thing. So we're not rebuilding something that existed in this form before, but I do think we're bringing back a type of journalism in some, in some areas that, that people probably used to read a lot of in, you know, the Sunday Times magazine, the Telegraph magazine, the, the Independent magazine, these kind of weekend supplements that used to have really good features. It was the same with the MEN, it was the same with the Echo and, and, the, and, the, and the Daily Post in Liverpool. You had proper features sections and you had long reads, um, you know, maybe not 5,000 word long reads, but you had kind of in-depth bits of journalism. And I think that's a big thing that we've lost and a big thing that I thought I'd like to try and um, bring back. There'll be people listening to this podcast who are better historians of local news than I am. But when you look back at, you know, editions of some big regional newspapers um, in the 50s and 60s, you just see enormous newspapers that had a lot of different things going on. Clearly a lot's been lost. And I think it's taken readers a bit longer than it's taken journalists for obvious reasons to just sort of really put their finger on to fully recognise the changes that have happened in news. We as journalists know about them because it's our friends losing their jobs, it's um, people we know, their newspaper is cutting all its feature writers, that kind of thing. That's been going on for a decade, actually a decade and a half or something. I think what I realised with The Mill is when I started to explain the huge economic collapse that's taken place in local news, the massive revenues that have been completely wiped out from a lot of news companies, the way in which that's affected quality, the way that's impacted commissioning decisions, the fact that young journalists now are often expected to write four or five or six stories a day. You know, I spotted a, a byline on the MEN once for 14 stories under it on one day. I think once I started to explain those things in, in pieces that I was writing on the mail, people started to say like things like, I kind of knew this was happening, but I didn't really know why it was happening, or I hadn't fully comprehended what was going on. And I think once you explain it to people, they think, God, actually, you know, that is a really significant development, not just in the media, but in a local society. If in a local society, a city used to have three different newspapers and a couple of magazines, and then it's down to one newspaper, and that newspaper is effectively shrinking the amount of real journalism it's doing year by year by year, that has a real impact on a city and on a community. So I think people are, people are coming round to, to this crisis. Yoshi, tell us a little bit about some of the stories that you're particularly proud that in just the short history of, of the mill so far you've been able to publish because I'm guessing it's not just the way that you report stories so it's not just about the quality and the, the depth but also maybe about the, the story choice as well yeah I think so I mean we try to pick fairly eclectic 
topics so that what we're doing feels different and so that we're really adding something. We're trying not to recreate what other people do and do it like 10% better or something. We're trying to pick topics and angles that you maybe wouldn't find in other regional newspapers. I think a good example would be a really early story that we did was when Danny Cole, who was the first um, staff member who I hired, she went out and she wrote about these little gardens, community gardens that were popping up in the ginnels and in back alleys behind terraced houses. And, you know, she found a few different examples as she went and met the people who were really... T- they were kind of turning around their neighbourhoods by creating these beautiful gardens. And, I, and when, she, when we published that piece, I did think, God, I can't really imagine this piece written in this way appearing anywhere else, you know. Um, another example, a totally different example, would be Jackie Kwan, who, who wrote for us. She wrote a brilliant long read about Manchester's relationship with China and the fact that the city and the city region had forged these really close connections with... Uh, Chinese companies, Chinese universities, uh, the Chinese consulate, and had made that like a big part of Greater Manchester's sort of growth, only for some, you know, controversies to start casting a few questions about some of the university relationships and, you know, was the university doing uh, deals with, you know, effectively companies that that were involved in defence contracts and that kind of thing. And that was like a, you know, probably a three and a half thousand, four hundred thousand word piece. And again, when we published that, I thought... Uh, I can't actually imagine that appearing, you know, I can't imagine it appearing in the national media because they would never focus on Greater Manchester for 4,000 words about one thing like that. But also I can't imagine it appearing in, in regional news. So it's it's those ones I like where our reporters and, and writers like alight on a topic in, in a way that, that you just wouldn't read elsewhere. I think that, that's our kind of, that's what we're trying to do. And... Looking ahead, I mean, are there other kinds of stories that you want the mill to do? I mean, what sort of itches do you want to scratch next in terms of stories? Well, I, yeah, it's a good question. I think we're doing a little bit more politics than we used to. I didn't do politics much at the beginning because I didn't know much about it. And now we're doing a little bit more uh, local political reporting, trying to break a few stories. You know, we're not all about long reads. We also have additions in our weekly schedule, which are... You know, look, here's a 600-word story breaking the news. Like last night, it was that a, a council candidate had been suspended by the Labour Party as part of a sort of wider battle within Manchester's Labour circles. Um, you know, we broke a story about um, a really serious mistake by Greater Manchester Police in which they exposed some really sensitive personal data of, of crime victims online. So we, we try, we're trying to do... I'd like to do more scoops, I think. I'd like to have a little bit more new information because I think that would give us a nice balance um I think also I just like to have more time on each story I mean I sort of always try to make sure that our young reporters when they write for us get you know at least two or three days or something to work on a story so that they can really speak to loads of people so they're never in a situation where it's like I need to turn three things around in a day and I can barely speak to anyone and I have to use a press release but obviously as you get bigger you want to extend that period you want people to spend you know a week on a story two weeks on a story we kind of do that but we never get the proper two weeks on it it's always like a bit of our time over two weeks or whatever I think next weekend we're publishing a story that's taken one of my reporters five months to work on you know obviously not all of his time but like quite a significant chunk of his time over five months and and that'll be like a really interesting sort of um, bit of local investigation so yeah, I, I always just want more time on stories um, rather than more stories, which is a little bit different to what a lot of publishers, I think, aim for. I think they 
a lot of publishers you can clearly see when they hire young reporters they're like can we eke out five stories from this person each day you probably have students who've gone to do go gone to do jobs where that's the requirement or six stories a day or ten stories a day i actually want the opposite i want as i want to eke out as much time as possible rather than as many stories as possible and i think that's how we'll hit the kind of standards of quality that we want I suppose traditional local newspapers and broadcasters feel a need to be comprehensive, don't they? I guess they feel they need to be across pretty much everything significant that happens in their patch. Do you think if you were to grow the mill that it could be sufficient? Look, I think the mill could exist if there was no other local media, but you know, it would be better for the mill because we'd have way more subscribers. Everyone would hang on our every word, but it wouldn't be good for the city. And it, it wouldn't be good for the region. I mean, we, we, we need more outlets, not not fewer. So the fact that, you know, the MEN can exist and do what it does and we can exist is great. And I think there should be multiple other outlets doing different things. That's what used to be the case. If you go to, you know, the city library here in Manchester and you look through the old uh, newspapers, there used to be loads of different titles. Some of them lasted for 10 years, some of them lasted for 20 years, but at any one time in the early 20th century, there were like three or four different newspapers that were based in Manchester. That's not the case anymore. So we obviously need way more titles, uh, way more publications um, who are coming at things from different angles. In terms of being comprehensive, I thought a lot about this because that's clearly the thing that's driving newspapers having to publish you know, hundreds of things a day. And I, I really wonder about the value of it when you have enough resources that a reporter can spend a whole day checking out a story, speaking to a couple of sources, putting it into context for readers, if you really have the team to do that on all the crime stories and all the education stories that you want to cover and all the new political developments, fine. But once you get down to a point where you can't do that and what you're actually doing is uploading press releases, I think that it's probably actually a negative thing to try and cover everything. Because what you happens is you go on these local and regional newspaper sites and a high proportion of the stories on there, let's, let's ignore the social media-based stories, let's ignore all the celebrities, let's ignore all the stories about what Piers Morgan said on the telly this morning. But if you just look at, let's say, the local journalism on those sites, quite a lot of it is based on press releases. A lot of them are from the police. If you go to, onto a lot of regional newspaper websites today, you'll find lots of very grim crime stories. And when you click on them, they will be almost identical to the press release that went out from the police an hour ago. You know, my inbox is full of press releases from the Greater Manchester Police. I don't think there's a particular value in a newspaper copying and pasting a press release. The police now have their own Twitter accounts, their own Instagram, they have their own Facebook page. All of these press releases go out on their social media. I don't actually see why we as the media should be the mouthpiece for the police just because it gets us some clicks and, and because the police want us to be. All these charities that have their press releases posted online, they also have their own social media for people who want to follow them. They can post in local Facebook groups, just like journalists do. You see lots of local journalists posting a crime story that's basically a press release in a local Facebook group. The police can do that if they, if they want to get that, if it's not just about getting clicks. So I think you know, a good principle would be, let's not try and cover everything every single day because we don't have the capacity to do it. We don't have a staff of 150 like the Echo used to have or the Manchester Evening News used to have. Let's pick the stories where we can actually do some proper reporting. And that might mean that readers don't hear about every single person who's been 
you know, banged up for, for stabbing someone. But I don't think that particularly matters. I, I really um, would push back against the idea that every time some poor soul turns up its local magistrate's court to get, you know, to get sentenced for something, that they need to have their mug shot in the local paper, that, that the police you know, have the right to have that person's name you know, sprayed everywhere in the city. I, don't, I just don't really believe in all that stuff. I, I think if you really, really think about what local journalism is about, and any journalism, it's about helping people to understand the world better, helping people to navigate the place in which they live, giving them a connection to the place they live, making them care more about the place they live, helping them to be informed about how they vote and that kind of thing. And I actually don't think pumping out dozens of press releases every day serves any of those things. I think the journalism we most need is the journalism that makes connections and that says, okay, are we seeing a trend here? Is there a particular thing that's driving this set of cases? Are there problems in particular neighbourhoods that are caused by poverty created by a policy change or something like that? I think that's the kind of journalism we most need. And I think we're not getting that because the, the whole setup, the whole priorities of regional news is, seems to be about volume. And, you know, you can see why, like, the economics of local news are such that, you know, the incentives are, are driving that. I mean, you know, if your main revenue model is online ads and every click you get, you make more money, then you need to get loads of clicks. You actually need to get millions and millions in a city just to make, like, a city newspaper work. And actually, that drives you to, to pump out more and more volume. It drives you to pump out more and more um, celebrity stories. It pushes you to pick the most sensationalised stories. It pushes you to pick these awful crime stories. I really question whether we need them. We can see all around us what the effect of that is. Like, we're not idiots. Like, we've all got a regional newspaper. We can all read it these days. You know, my mum lives in a, near a small town in Sussex, and, like, her local newspaper has one page of local news normally, and then the rest of it from the, from the neighbouring county. So we, we all know the crisis we're in, and, it, and it's strange to me that in this country we haven't woken up to it as a sort of issue of society and democracy in the same way that the Americans have, like, on the wall of our office... I've got a cover of The Atlantic, um, and it said, Who Killed America's Newspapers? And the ho- it's a huge feature that's come out in The Atlantic a few months ago about how the regional news and local news in America has been decimated, almost literally decimated. And um, we don't have the same alarm in this country about what's happened. There are way, way, way fewer people working in local regional news than there were 10 years ago, there were 20 years ago, and yet... Um, you know, it doesn't seem to be a, an issue of, of any sort of concern. I, I, I think it should be. Well, you mentioned that word revenue. Can you tell us a little bit about the newsletter model, the Substack model? What are the possibilities that you see in a newsletter model for local journalism? Well, I think one big benefit of it is that unlike printing a newspaper that's very expensive or running a website that's still like got tech costs associated with it, hosting costs and that kind of thing, what Substack and other similar platforms let you do is publish you know, almost for free. You're not paying for your hosting. You're not paying a tech team to run a website. You don't have this huge website that you have to you know, make tweaks to and, and you need to publish dozens of stories to to make it look good. So actually, newsletters allow anyone to create a very, very cheap publishing system. You know, the, the production costs of... Um, of running the mill are like incredibly low. I give 10% of the revenue that, that I get from subscribers to Substack to cover 
the use of the platform, the hosting, any tech complaints that I have, all the payment stuff. So it lowers the barriers to entry for like independent journalists. As we've seen, there are lots of independent journalists in America now who are making way more money than they made at their newspapers on Substack. But it also lowers the barriers to entry for local news. You know, if you want to get into it, if you want to start writing stories and see if you can build up an audience, you can do that. And it's not just me who's done it here with the mail. But it's also, you know, that there, there are two really good journalists in, in Northampton who've done a very similar thing. There's a guy in um, Cork in Ireland who's doing a similar thing. I've chatted to a guy in uh, Delaware who's doing a similar thing. And, and one of my friends who, who's doing it out in North Carolina, who I've got to know really well since I'm doing the mill, he's doing a, a really great Substack publication. So it's not just about Substack, it's these newsletters, you know, publishing journalism into people's inboxes, just a lot cheaper than... Um, a lot of the other forms of, of production and I think that's a great thing you know we, we have to get the cost down of, of, of getting journalism out and that's what this this platform's done. One of the dangers in this whole debate is looking for like one silver bullet one solution that's going to sort of fix the big problem in local news you're not going to find that I mean you're talking about an industry that used to be immensely profitable in the 70s and 80s and then it's had its revenues you know it's certainly half. In many cases, revenues for these kind of media companies are 20% of what they used to be. So you're talking an absolutely unbelievable revenue collapse, which is still going on because of the internet, because of the loss of print, because of effectively, most importantly, the loss of advertising. Loads and loads of advertisers are used to advertising local newspapers and now advertising in totally different places like Google, Facebook, Autotrader, whatever. But on to revenue, I think you know it's worth explaining to your listeners that we are currently 100% subscription funded. We've got a thousand paying members in Manchester who give us you know seven quid a month, so that they can get our not just our free stories every week, but also our paid ones. So instead of just getting two emails a week, they get four. They're also doing it because they like what we're doing and they they want it to grow and they believe in they believe in the mill. We call them millers, our readers, and um, you know it's been a good model for us because. It's grown fast enough that it could pay for me. You know, admittedly, I'm not earning as much as I have in past jobs at the moment, but that's that's what it's like starting a new company. It's paid for a tiny office we've got here in the Royal Exchange building in, in, in Manchester. Paid for me to hire Danny uh, a year ago, uh, to hire Molly over the summer, to hire a guy called Jack Delhanty um, a few weeks ago. So on a relatively small budget in terms of costs... We're, re- we're able to build a high-quality product because of the, the newsletters with not that many subscribers, i.e. a 1,000, because they're giving you seven quid a month, which is just tons more money than you'd make from an individual person who's looking at your stuff via ads. We're able to build a, you know, this little team, clearly, to make it you know, really sustainable and have a, a slightly larger team in the longer term. You know, you need thousands of people subscribing, but the fact that we've got a 1,000 after a you know, effectively only a year and a bit of since we launched our paid subscriptions, I think is a good thing. Dan in Sheffield, who you mentioned, who who I'm doing the, the Tribune with, he's already got 550 paying subscribers. He only started it last July. He's absolutely flying. He left the local paper, interestingly, the star, and he's doing this. So he's already getting enough money in there to kind of pay for, but effectively, his own costs, you know, his own salary, um, his freelancers for a bit of marketing. So, you know, we've got a long way to go and I don't think people should be thinking that subscriptions on their own are going to replace the enormously lucrative local advertising market that used to go to local newspapers. That They're not. 
but can they give us a platform to build high quality media companies that then you can start doing some other revenue streams like ads and events and whatever else is going to come along in order to build really strong and sustainable media companies across the country yeah i hope so i i guess it's a little bit too early to say but that's certainly what i'm hoping what sort of people are you looking for and what is your pitch to young journalists for whom local journalism doesn't really feature much right now well i actually think i'm looking for people who don't really find local news that interesting in its current form because the kind of writing we do just doesn't feel anything like traditional local news. If they went on the mill I think they'd find stories that they're more associated with weekend magazines or American magazines or you know 5,000 word incredibly well reported features and um, really beautiful long reads and like really high class feature writing like that's what we're trying to do and, and I look for people who want to do that who don't just want to bang out a, you know a, a news story in a couple of hours not I've got nothing against like conventional news reporting I think it's really valuable I think it's really important but I'm mostly looking for people who really care about the craft of writing who believe that something when it's really well written has more impact and brings you know joy to people's lives that's the other thing like I don't want journalism just to be seen as sort of like getting your greens in getting your veg eaten it's like it's not supposed to be like that it's supposed to bring people happiness and like and joy and for them to think oh that's really elevated my mood like that was really beautifully written there's that phrase in there that really captured something I, I always ask our writers to try and capture people in their full humanity you know not just treat people as like they're like they're a mum they're 55 they earn this much money and they live in this neighborhood like we try and capture people in their full essence and in, in you know the emotional complexity of people's lives and their kind of the moral ambiguity that you find in a lot of stories and the complexity and you can do that if you if you approach journalism not as just a fact finding exercise but as like an attempt to really understand the world and, and and give people time to tell their stories so i actually think if a lot of your students and, and people who listen to the podcast went on their mill they might think god this doesn't feel like local journalism at all actually what i really want to do is produce some of the highest quality journalism that we can do in the country but in cities where currently it's you know that kind of journalism isn't being produced um, it doesn't feel particularly like um, local journalism it is local because it's focusing on one area i think that's really important you know um, some of these areas don't have this kind of focus in terms of this type of reporting but the big aim that we have you know internally and in, when we talk in, in this company is to try and provoke a renaissance of this type of journalism across the country a really high quality well-written in-depth type of journalism across the country and do it via these you know city-based um, publications but it's it's this journalism we care about the most it's not so much um, can we replace this local paper it's like can we seed almost like rewilding can we reseed this kind of journalism across the country we've got a massive problem in this country that a lot of the top quality journalists in this country are based in london a lot of the most experienced and best paid journalists you know end up in london even though they're from liverpool they're from manchester they're from uh, dundee they're from newcastle and that's a huge problem so we're trying to reintroduce this kind of journalism that we we love across um, across the north at the moment and you know who knows in, in future maybe in other places too we've had an amazing reception in manchester like i if you had said to me at the beginning we'd have a thousand members by this point we'd have dozens of our uh, paying members offering to distribute our print edition over christmas and like literally 
please can you drop off one guy in Timperley in Trafford took 600 copies of our print edition and, and gave them out around his neighbourhood so you know if people had told me we'd have that kind of thing and we'd have the emails I get and the support and, and the encouragement I'd be absolutely flabbergasted so I have to say there's no point in dwelling on like the occasional negative like overall it's been it's been wonderful I should probably have started this podcast interview with this question but I mean why you why are you doing this and what's been your relationship with local news well I I mean I worked in effectively city journalism for the first five years of my career after I graduated from university I worked at the London Evening Standard as a feature writer and at that point the standard was probably still is like the probably one of the biggest regional newspapers although it, it thinks of itself as a national and strangely it's categorized at the press awards as a national which benefited me a couple of times but i love city journalism like i love the task of trying to cover a city you can never cover everything so you have to decide what to cover and cities are such unbelievably rich places full of um, drama and evil and, and colour and um, surprises and, and intrigue. So I'm a huge believer in city journalism. It's not, I'm not saying, you know, I grew up in a village in Sussex. I'm not saying I, I don't believe in, like, rural journalism. I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll have a crack at it at one point. But I, I do love working in cities. And so I did that at the Evening Standard. And I think the reason that I thought I could do this, I suppose, was, you know, I was going to write a book at the beginning of the pandemic, I was, I was basing myself in the, in the Czech Republic trying to write a book about my family's history in the Holocaust that was centred around uh, Moravia and Bohemia and, and, and the, the former Czechoslovakia. And then I had to come back at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, that everything closed. And so I, I flew back to my mum's, I was, I was, you know, with my mum for ages, um, you know, at her house, with, with my sister as well, working in the garden. And I just began to think, maybe I should do a, a domestic project, maybe instead of trying to write a book that will take me require spending two years in archives in Poland and Germany and, and all that sort of thing. Maybe I should do something that's actually in the UK, given that we're all in this um, pandemic together. So within a couple of months of the start of the pandemic, that's why I started planning this, speaking to people on the phone. And I think the key conversation I had that really gave me the idea, I had a conversation with a senior executive at one of these big media companies that runs local newspapers. There are four or five of them in the UK. And he told me about his the business he runs basically or you know he helps to run and he told me about how you know overwhelmingly most of their revenue didn't just come from advertising it comes from print advertising right I just thought wow that's that's so crazy to me that like all I was thinking for the past couple of years was I'd love to do a subscription media company a high quality subscription media company and then I chat to this guy and he's saying oh most of our money is coming from you know print advertising and our big goal is to make way more money from online advertising and I was like, is, you know, our subscriptions and, and, and sort of going for that quality route, is that in your plans? And he was like, well, you know, yes, we're trying it in a few places, but like it's never going to be the scale that we want. Maybe he's right, maybe it would never be the scale to pay for his newspapers. But it immediately made me think, God, someone's got to try that. Someone's got to just go as high quality as they possibly can, as distinctive as they possibly can with, with subscriptions as the underlying business model and then add in other things later. So that's when I kind of thought, okay... Maybe I'll give us a crap. You've expanded quite a lot in the last few months. I mean, what what do the next 12 to 24 months bring, do you think? We'd really like to bed in our Liverpool, um, our Liverpool publication, The Post. It's had such a good reception in terms of its stories, and now we just need to get enough members on there to, to make it sustainable. So that's kind of my big challenge at the moment. Can we get that up to 500 members in the next, I don't know, 
five or six months so that, that can really be sustainable. The mill's growing really nicely and we've got a, a great team here. Um, I'd like the mill to take on a, a broader range of stories. Um, I'm speaking to kind of readers at the moment and trying to think like, what, what, could, uh, what else could we cover? So that, that's a big thing for me. The Sheffield one is just going gangbusters and, and I think Dan's doing an incredible job. And my big ambition there is to add a, a second um, person so that it's not all Dan and freelancers and, and, and kind of ta- putting, putting things together um, with, with a relatively tiny team. So we're trying to get another writer there, I think, this year. Um, you know, and I, I do hope in future that other people will come forward and want to do it together. And if I can get some funding from somewhere, I mean, last year I got the funding from Substack and that was unbelievable. Um, I don't know if I, you know, where I'll get the next bit of funding from, but if, if we can get the funding together to, to help someone else get one of these up and running um, and pay them a salary to do really high quality stuff like this, that'd be, that'd be good. But um, this year I think I've got my, uh, got my hands full and um, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's, it's a daily challenge, but it's, I have to say it's very enjoyable. I mean, it's probably some of the most enjoyable work I've done in my whole career some of the most rewarding work is doing this kind of stuff because when 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 people really love one of these stories you think god that's a you know that's a tiny team that's put that together that's that's our little team um this thing didn't even exist a year and a half ago and now we're you know we're, we're, we're bringing that kind of enjoyment to people and, and and information to people so yeah it's been a, it's been a pleasure and um i appreciate you having me on to talk about it you've been listening to jlab a podcast brought to you by the Civic Journalism Lab at Newcastle University. My name's Ian Wiley. Thanks for tuning in.